Hey everyone, I'm Andrea Ferretti, and this is episode two of our summer series. So my husband, Jason Crandall, is back on the show today, and we are just aiming to keep you inspired to do your yoga practice this summer. So today we are going to dive deeply into the hips, and essentially we give you three tips for working with your hips in your yoga practice, and really it's all about dispelling common myths that we have about our hips. Did you know that you had myths about your hips? Can you say that three times fast? I don't know. Anyway, by the end of this conversation, you will have definitely learned something about your hips that you can incorporate into your practice. I say that with such confidence because I believe it and I feel it. So if you enjoy the podcast, leave us a review on iTunes and don't forget to subscribe so that you don't miss an episode. And without further ado, here's the episode. Welcome back, Jason. Welcome back, Andrea. So we are on episode two of our summer series, our six podcast series to inspire you to stay on your mat this summer. That's right. Not like your whole, not like the whole summer. You have to just stand on your mat, but. That'd be a long summer. Yeah. That'd be a long yoga practice. Yeah. So today we're going to talk about hips. Yep. And where do you want to start with that? I want to start by really defining in yoga what hips are. And I want to acknowledge that I was so confused by this for so long, (laughs) literally not just confused as a student, but confused as a teacher. I just lacked clarity in how I understood and communicated the region. And one of the things that I think is the most confusing thing to unpack is that most of us have a colloquial language where we refer to the hips as the outside wall of the pelvis. Yeah. So when people think about hips, they sort of, if I say, take your hands to your hips, people will take their hands to their iliums, their, their outer hip bones. Yeah. But really in yoga, when we're talking about hips, we're talking about the hip joint. And in anatomy land, that is called the coxal joint, C-O-X-A-L. I mean, I never use that language because- No one knows it. No one knows it. Yeah. But the hip joint is the coxal joint. And when we're talking about our hips, really what we should be talking about is not just that outer wall of the pelvis, but about the joint and all of the muscles that operate the joint. And so the first thing to know about that joint is it's 360 degrees. It's a ball and socket, which means it moves in many combinations of directions. Okay. And it has a full circumference of muscles that circumduct it. It means there's muscles that wrap all the way around it. So when we're talking hips in yoga, we're not just talking the outside of the pelvis, we're talking in the hip joint. That joint is 360 degrees and it has 360 degrees of musculature that operate on that joint. And if I step back and I look at the sequences that I've practiced and taught over the years, if I'm really honest, if I ask myself, are those sequences balanced for the hip joint? I have to say, no, not really. They're not that balanced for the hip joint. And the main way in which they're not balanced for the hip joint is we do a ton of anterior rotation of the pelvis, and which means we do a ton of contracting the front side of the hips and a ton of stretching the back side of the hips. So I think that that's the first thing that we need to look at and remedy is, I'll just say it, the often 
overstretch issues on the backside of the hips, which result in hamstring overstretch and understrength. And then secondarily, probably not enough opening for the other parts of the hip joint. So when I think of the, a hip opening practice, yeah. like the, what, the kind that you're talking about, like a traditional hip opening practice, I think of opening the outer the hips. The outer hips. Is that the same thing as the backside? What poses are we talking about? Do you, th- you think may be overdone and, and, and which muscles? Okay. So <clears throat> a couple things. I make this mistake to this day in titling and I've made this mistake for all forever. You know, we'll do these things called like hips and hamstrings, like hips and hamstrings. Well, hamstrings are part of the hips. Hamstrings are hip extensors. Outer hips are hip external rotators or or abductors, but the hamstrings are just as much part of the hip joint as any other muscle group is. Mm -hmm. They're not separate. That'd be like having a shoulders and pecs workshop. Well, the pec is a shoulder muscle, Mm -hmm. right? So that's the first thing to remember. So the thing that I think is most overstretched are the hamstrings. Mm -hmm. In modern vinyasa-based sequencing, there is so much stretch of the hamstrings, and that isn't necessarily bad, but they're not strengthened enough, right? And when I do my teacher trainings and I ask people in the room, raise your hand if you've had a hamstring attachment injury, 60 to 70% of the people raise their hand. And this, this isn't because people are doing things wrong. It's because the sequence is skewed incorrectly. It's that we spend so much time stretching the backside and not nearly as much time strengthening hamstrings. Okay. There might be that we're doing something wrong because, yeah, because yeah, I but, think that the psychology of yoga is such that touching your toes, touching the floor, like you said, all of this overemphasis on forward bending and, and stretching the, the back hamstrings line. Yeah, makes you potentially like overstretch. I agree with you, but I feel like it's not as frequently a a once off issue Mm. because our muscles are really strong and their muscles are really resilient and muscles do a pretty good job of withstanding certain over eagerness of our ego. So, yeah, we can do it one off, but I feel like it's really the conditions, the conditions because of the sequencing are ripe for overstretch and instability issues on the backside. So if the hamstrings were stronger? I think that if the hamstrings were stronger and if we had a greater dispersion of hamstring strengthening along the way and more gluteal strengthening along the way in our vinyasa yoga sequences, the numbers would be more in our favor. It's difficult because I don't want to make claims And yet I have opinions and the opinions are largely not based on science. They're based on anecdotes Mm -hmm. and just my own sensibilities. Mm -hmm. So I don't want to get too heavy into making claims. And I also don't want our readers to think that stretching the hamstrings are bad. Mm -hmm. Right. I think it's really valuable. But if I step back and I just look at that one muscular compartment, the back of the hip joint, remember hamstrings are part of the hips. That's why we're talking about them now. If I look at the amount of time that the hamstrings are stretched, overtly stretched compared to the amount of time that the hamstrings are overtly contracted in a vinyasa sequence, it doesn't even come close. Mm -hmm. And so when you do that to a muscle group for long periods of time, 
then it's not surprising when overstretch and instability issues come up. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So I think that that's the first thing is to realize hamstrings are part of the hip joint. And in contemporary vinyasa yoga sequencing, we tend to stretch the hamstrings way more than we tend to engage them and strengthen them. And so I'd say this is really tip one. Getting back to our tips is the tip isn't to skip stretching the hamstrings. The tip is to include more hamstring strengthening postures within a flow. And then we'll get to the outer hips in a second, but let me give our, our readers a, a thought, which listeners. is our readers, but they're, <laughs> but they're, they're, I don't know, listeners. Okay. Which is to do more prone backbends. All of my regular students, all of my teacher trainees are going to, going to moan when they hear the following more locust poses. Yeah. So backbends from your tummy. Backbends from your tummy. And then contracting your hamstrings a little bit in standing poses. So in your lunges, in your triangles, in your warrior two, pressing the front heel down and pulling back a little bit to bring a little bit more hamstring tone. Using your hamstrings more overtly and more skillfully in back bends, including back bends on your back, like bridge pose and ordvids on your asana. For camel pose, I have students take their fingers to just beneath the, their buttock to the hamstring and, and firm that. So firm the bottom of the buttock and firm the top of the hamstrings. So to be including more poses that are creating strength to help balance all of the flow poses that are stretching that stuff out. What so I think that's tip one. balances? Like warrior three? Yeah, warrior three, I think would be a good pose because in warrior three, the, the raised leg. Yeah. You're strengthening that hamstring. I teach it's horrible. And I always tell people like, oh, this is going to be the, your least favorite, most obnoxious, annoying version of Natarajasana ever, but Natarajasana without holding the back foot. So bringing the heel to or towards the buttock and taking the thigh back, extending the hip joint. And I remember when I first started doing that, I would get a hamstring cramp. Mm -hmm. And then when I stopped getting a hamstring cramp, I would raise that back heel and take the thigh bone back and my back, my hamstring would just catch on fire. It would ache so bad. And now it's really easy because I've done it enough that that muscle group was really under strength and it was really under trained. And one more thing about this before we move on from hamstrings is I was afraid to do hamstring strengthening poses because I thought it would make me more tight and my hamstrings were already tight. I didn't want to do anything to make them tighter. But I did not understand that strength and flexibility, they're not mutually exclusive. They actually go really well hand in hand with each other. And there's so much strengthening in flow-based yoga already that I don't think we need to fear doing some additional poses that strengthen that muscle group. So you don't think that adding strength limits mobility? I do not. That is a, that is a common myth. It's a huge myth. Yeah. And then you know what happened, actually? This really annoying thing would happen in my classes, which was men would come who looked like they were chiseled out of stone and they had all this muscular bulk and tone and definition, which already was super obnoxious, right? I mean, like, how dare that happen in my class, right? <laughs> and then they would have the gall to have more flexibility than me. And literally, I started to figure out like, oh, my God, like there's all these gymnasts that come. There's all these dancers that come. There's all these rock climbers that come to my class that have incredible physiques, right, that have more muscle mass and more muscle tone than I have. 
and they're more flexible. Mm-hmm. And, it, and it was, it was like, I had to see that, that obviously I'm joking about it being annoying, but I had to see that muscle, that body type in my class a lot to realize muscle tone and bulk does not impede flexibility. So long as flexibility is also trained, it's when flexibility is not included that those muscles get tighter. But when flexibility is included in the strength training regimen, no way. So you weren't doing a lot of hamstring string stretches on your uh, high school hockey team. On my high school hockey team, we did not spend a lot of time stretching hamstrings. Yeah. No. And probably genetically, that's just a tight part for you. Oh, totally. Because you see with little kids, you see immediately there's, I mean, there's kids Sophia's age who are really tight, have really tight hamstrings. And then she's like throwing her legs over her head. Yeah. About to rip apart like a rubber band. Yeah. She's so flexible. But with my knees bent, I can almost touch my shins now. So I'm coming oh, along. Oh, I'm so proud of you. Yeah. That's awesome. So good. I can almost get my socks on. <laughs> that's so good. <laughs> that's big. That's yeah, big. So that's tip one. Strengthen hamstrings more. Hamstrings are part of your hips. We stretch them a ton. Don't be afraid to stretch them, especially if you're doing a vinyasa yoga practice. You're going to stretch them. More flexibility on the backside is really wonderful, but only emphasizing hamstring flexibility may show up as a vulnerability later on. And we need, we need more strengthening of that muscle group. Yeah, Absolutely. Usually when people think about hip openers, they think about things that stretch their butt, their butt and their outer hip. Like outer, like glutes. Yeah. Yeah. Well, glute and there's, there's muscles that live underneath glutes. So to be most technical about it and then to be least technical about it, most people identify their hips, like I said, as that outer wall of the ilium and the outer part of the leg. And so they associate hip opening with postures that stretch the outside of their hip and the back of their hip, their bum and their outer hip, really. So those are the external rotators. They're part of the extensors and they're the abductors, the abductors, or what I usually call those outer hip muscles are the lateral stabilizers, because that's really what they do. Those outer hip muscles almost never truly abduct the femur. They're, they're, they're stabilizers. Yeah, that's true. So I think they should be renamed the lateral stabilizers, not the abductors, but Hey, who am I? (laughs) So pigeon pose, thread the needle pose, ankle to knee pose, gomukhasana pose. You know, there's many poses. It's that sort of bittersweet region of outer hip. Those external rotators, those outer hip and posterior hip muscles, those are the muscles that we most associate as hip muscles. And for a lot of people, they do need to be stretched. There's no doubt yeah, about it. Yeah, they get it. really sore from sitting. They get day. really sore I mean, from sitting. A lot of us sit. Totally. Yeah. And we need to mobilize them. That's for sure. And I think we do a pretty good job of that. Like I know as a yoga teacher, like if I walked into a room and I thought to myself, oh man, I don't really have a plan today. I just want to teach a feel good class. I'm going to do three things. Do hip opening, shoulder opening and core strengthening. Those are greatest hits. Those are the stuff that so often just make people feel better in their bodies. And doing that outer hip stretching work is really good. 
But I think we know that. I think that that's pretty consistent. I think that people know that that doing things that stretch their outer hip is really valuable. But I want to throw in tip number two, which is those muscles also need to be strengthened. Glutes need to be strengthened. External rotators need to be strengthened. The lateral hip muscles, the abductors need to be strengthened. And in order to do that strengthening work in a vinyasa class, we don't need to reinvent the wheel. And we don't need to get rid of the stuff that stretches those regions. It's really valuable that we stretch those regions. But I'm coming across, again, more and more people that have outer hip and sacroiliac region instability from long time flow where we stretch and stretch and stretch the backside. And also, there's a lot of people that are drawn to vinyasa-based yoga who have highly mobile hip joints already. And so that constant stretch of the outside and posterior part of the hip, if it isn't balanced with a little bit more strengthening, can become a little bit of a liability. Mm -hmm. How do we strengthen those areas? So the most obvious way to strengthen those areas, number one, is listen to it, to engage your gluteal muscles when you do backbends a reasonable amount. So to get the bottom of the gluteus maximus to fire up a little bit, even to get the deep external rotators to fire up a little bit is really important. Those muscles are hip extensors. And when you do a backbend, the pelvis goes into extension. It rotates a little bit backwards over the femurs. And so we need the muscles on the backside to engage. When you do a forward bend, you engage the muscles on the front side, you engage quads and you engage hip flexors because those are the muscles that rotate the pelvis forward and your forward bends and stretch the backside. So when we do back bends, we want to do the opposite. We want to engage the muscles on the backside. So in back bends, engaging hamstrings, engaging the bottom of the gluteus maximus, and then engaging a little bit of the outer hip muscles is something that, that I believe is really important. And I also want to say that I taught the opposite for at least 15 years. I was part of the camp for at least 15 years that taught not to engage those muscles because the belief system was that that would rotate the thighs apart, that that would splay the knees. Which it can if you it overdo can it. It can if you overdo it and anything can be overdone, right? I, I sort of always jokingly say, look, engage your buttock. You don't have to break anything off down there. But there should be a moderate amount of tone and also engage the inner thigh muscles. Yeah, that's so balanced. That's, right? Yeah. So if you're engaging your inner leg muscles while you engage your buttock and your hamstrings and your outer hip muscles, then you get the strength and the stability and the posterior rotation of the pelvis without getting that oversplaying of the knees. Yeah. I mean, that's kind of the beauty of Urdhva Like It's such an efficient pose because when you think of what it takes to basically, you're lifting up, you're using your legs and your hips to lift up your entire trunk yes, and arms and head. Those are all like very heavy parts of your body. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, it's really thinking of like using the whole, the whole leg and yes. not ignoring part of it. I remember this class that I took with Adil Pakavala a long time ago. It was on back safety and so forth. And I'm not going to try and do a deal's voice. voice. He is one of the great voices. He's a beautiful voice. Yeah. Yeah. Did you know that he used to sing opera? No. Yes. But I, anyway, I, I mean. He's a Renaissance man. Without a doubt. Yeah. So 
a deal. I remember this quote. He said, the buttocks are round and substantial for a reason, <laughs> right? And they're a substantial muscle group yeah. for a reason. They're on the backside. They're horsepower on the backside. They should be helping to transport our pelvis through space. And there's also a couple other myths that if you contract your buttock, you won't be contracting your hamstrings. Total myth. Total myth. If you contract your buttock, you won't be contracting your spinal muscles. Total myth. If you contract your buttocks, you'll be compressing your sacroiliac joint. Total myth. Somebody was really anti-buttocks in the yoga asana system. Way yeah, and when. you know what's so interesting is that <laughs> none of that actually comes from the Iyengar system. It doesn't? No. I was wondering. I'm thinking. No, the, the Iyengar quote, are your buttocks engaged in a backbend, BKSA Iyengar, like a rock? So, so to be honest with you, I don't know. Wow. Because I, I, I actually, the modern Iyengar teachers that I know of are the ones who've said that to me. So I'm. We, we want to not sort of get too carried away in talking about how another lineage talks about this stuff. But anyway, bottom line, do I think you should stretch your hamstrings? Yes. Do I think you should stretch your butt and your outer hips? Absolutely. Should we be afraid of those things? No. Should we remove those things from the vinyasa yoga sequencing? No, probably not. It's part of the sequencing. Do I think we need to step back and take the opportunities to strengthen the hamstrings more? Yes. Strengthen the buttock and the outer hips more? Yes. Is backbending the perfect opportunity to do that? Yes. Do you want to overdo it? No. You don't want to overdo contraction of anything. But fear of overdoing something is not a good justification for not doing that yeah. thing at all. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. You know, and I sort of I sort of say this. I think this is an important point. This is worth it. If our daughter walked into a room at four and a half going on five with a box of matches, I would say, Sophia, put that down. Give those to daddy. Those are dangerous because she's four and a half years old. So I'm not going to take the time to explain to her, well, when sulfur and oxygen combust, blah, blah, blah. All I want her to know at this age of what's appropriate is don't use those things. But at another phase of life, she's going to learn that there's more to the story, right? That there's situationally specific times where you use matches. The point I want to make with this is I think that a lot of times people are told not to use their glutes in fear that they're going to overuse their glutes or inappropriately use them or use them without also using the inner leg muscles. And we need our students to have a more nuanced understanding of glutes. Instead of saying, don't use those matches, those will burn the house down, right? We have to talk to our students like they're not four and a half or five-year-olds. We have to help them use the parts of their body in a more mature way. Yeah. Increasing your skillfulness rather than just complete avoidance. Yeah, complete avoidance. Oh, yeah. someone might overdo something. Don't do it. Right. We're going to talk about this in another episode when it comes to shoulder and arm elevation, because the way that a lot of people are being told to use their scapula is not correct. Well, I can't wait to hear about yeah. that. Yeah. It's not, I shouldn't say it's not correct. I should say it's incomplete. And so it's the same thing with glutes. The way that we're being taught to use the glutes is it's, it's incorrect. It, it's incomplete. It's incomplete. I'm guessing you're going to have something to say about the front of the hips. Uh, of course I have something to say about the front of the hips. So let's go there. Tip number three, lengthen your hip flexors early and often. 
early and often and lengthen your quadriceps early and often. And one of the big reasons that I bring this up is the way that we sit, right? So you brought up earlier that we sit, mostly we sit in chairs, even as a yoga teacher myself and and you a a yoga content producer of, of various forms, even though we're yogis and we have that lifestyle, we still sit on our butt mm-hmm. doing our work for hours yeah. on end. And that means the stuff that we're sitting on is sort of sore and it has poor circulation and there's a little bit of atrophy, which is another reason to engage it. But the front of the hip joint is really shortened. When we sit, the thigh bone is at about a 90 degree angle to the hip joint. And so we we really sit in anterior tilt of the pelvis. We don't sit in neutral pelvis. We sit in anterior tilt, which means all of the stuff on the front side is chronically shortened. This is one of the reasons that in all of my flow classes, you know, I, I come from Ashtanga background, Ashtanga and Iyengar, and I I still really love and respect those disciplines. And coming from Ashtanga, I wondered why in all those, you know, starting with Surya Namaskar A and Surya Namaskar B, I wondered why my lower back, those first several salutations didn't feel good. And especially in up dog, like the first five Surya Namaskar A's, my up dogs has felt horrible. Mine still feels like, feels like that. I just do Cobra. <laughs> right. But yeah. And I really think that a big part of that is the lack of inclusion of anterior hip opening prior to those up dogs. And so the pelvis is stuck in a little bit of a forwardly rotated position in the lumbar. The lower back gets jammed because it can't rotate backwards over the femurs because the front of the hips are so damn tight. So for all of my classes and all of my trainings and the sequence stuff that I build, for all of the flow-based work, we start with a couple of half sun salutation and then lunge salutations. We always do f- four or six or eight lunge salutations before Surya Namaskar A because my students and myself are coming from sitting and that anterior part of the hip needs to be lengthened. Yeah. It needs to be lengthened. Now, can that be overstretched? Can the hip flexors be overstretched? Yes. Everything can be overstretched. But here's the deal. Have your students raise their hand and see how many hamstring attachment strains they've had in a group of 50. Count them up and then see how many anterior hip flexor strains they've had. Count them up and you're going to have maximum one or two. Mm -hmm. So we can overstretch the front, but I feel like it's really chronically understretched. So already we have a pattern. More strength on the backside in our sequences, more strength on the outside of our hips in our sequences, and more length of the front side of the hip and quads in our sequences. So you mentioned low lunges as a great way to stretch the hip flexors. Yeah. And so for people who are really flexible, I mean, I think it took me years to figure this out because I'm very open to my inner 
legs. Your so, adductors. Yeah, my adductors. So I would just sort of sit in my low lunges, right? I would just like let my mm-hmm. pelvis sink mm-hmm. and my pelvis would be tilted really far forward yes. and I didn't stretch yes. the front of my hips. Yes. So for those people, you would recommend lifting the hip points. Yeah, so bit, right? uh, thanks for bringing that up. So two things. One, another great set of poses for this are high lunges. And I really like high lunges, crescent lunges. I actually really prefer these in my sequences to warrior one. I don't teach warrior one that that often. I've really converted more to high lunges. Higher lunges to me are a, a much, they're a really good pose and they're, they're easier to route through and they're easier to get people to have stability and neutral in their pelvis and lower back than in warrior one. But so in crescent lunge slash high lunge, and in those low lunges, which is like Anjaneyasana, getting students to lift the front rim of the pelvis up a little bit, lift the entire hips up a little bit. So not sinking too low. There's two things with the pelvis. We don't want the pelvis to sink too low and we don't want the pelvis when it sinks too low to rotate too far forward. forward. Mm-hmm. So you got to lift a little bit out. Mm-hmm. Press the front foot down, press the back foot down, lift the hips up a little bit and then lift the front of the hips and engage core slightly. So engage the transverse. So that corseting, that hollowing of the belly, that navel towards spine, those are all really good ways to, to get into the front of the hip. And and then, and you'll feel it. Like if you're a very flexible person, like I was, <laughs> you'll, you you'll feel it when you'll, you'll in feel a lot it. of directions. You still are. You'll feel it when you are, are stretching your hip flexors and it'll feel really good probably because, because it needs some attention. And then to stretch quads, let's talk you about You need one. to bend the back knee. Yeah. You need to bend the back knee. You need to reach back and catch the back foot. So to some people call that pose twisted monkey. I know you don't because you don't usually call I don't know. I just can't imagine you calling it that. I have but a difficult if you know time what reverse twisted engineering monk- na- naming protocol. If, yeah, I know. I actually do too. But if you know what twisted monkey is, Or like is, that's- gecko. I just call it low lunge quad stretch. So you just come into Anjaneyasana. Let's say the right foot is forward, you the know back what? leg is back. I will, put a, I will put our illustration of this, of the poses that we talked about today, I will put them on the show notes page. Okay. And then people can see them. Reach back and hold your foot. And there's one more thing I want to say. Um, you know, Jason and I have been mentioning throughout this episode that we all sit a whole lot. I am so curious if anyone out there has one of those standing desks or one of those treadmill desks. Treadmill desk. I have heard of a treadmill desk. And if so, has it made a difference to you? You can send an email to yogaland at jasonyoga.com. Let me know if your standing desk or your treadmill desk or your headstand desk or your <laughs> circus desk, whatever has me. I'm just so, I'm so curious about this. Okay. And, and also I want, if anyone does comply and tells Andrea how much they love those things, if one of those ends up living in our home, I want that person to know that they will be my arch enemy forever. No, and for always. I don't need one. I'm, I'm in my body a lot these days. I don't, I, okay. I'm just very curious. I'm on, I'm sincerely very curious for people who are still in the yeah. nine to five desk life. If that's, if that yeah. makes a difference, yoga yeah. land at jasonyoga.com. Got it. There's one more thing. There's one more tip, more lengthening, more opening, more stretching, whatever we want to call it of the inner legs. Yeah. The adductor muscles are part of your hip joint. Okay. We often don't think about them as part of our hip joint because we feel the stretch on the inside of our leg, right? 
when we do something like Bada Konasana or side splits or deep squats, or even for some, for me, because they're tight, happy baby pose, when we do postures where we feel the stretch on our inner leg, we tend to think about that as a leg stretch, not a hip stretch, because mentally we've identified with the outside of the hip, not that the hip is a full 360, right? But the hip is a full 360 and the muscles on the inside of the leg are as much hip muscles as your hamstrings, your hip flexors, your butt, and your outer hips. And so that's a place that gets left off the map pretty frequently. Now, I will say this. A lot of people have congenitally very flexible inner legs. Like like you have wicked flexible inner legs. I've had to work on strength. Yes. Mm -hmm. Right. But it's a really tight place for me. And it's a tight place for a lot of guys. I mean, it really is a tight place for a lot of guys, inner legs. So doing more work like Baddha Konasana, like Upavishta Konasana, like Prasarata Padottanasana, like I teach it quite a bit, but a horse stance where you bend the knees and you take a squat, forearms on the inner legs, pressing the thighs out. Anything that gets to the inner leg is really important in part because of the relationship of that muscle group to the hip flexors and to the hamstrings. When the inner leg is really tight, it's going to have a limiting effect on the motion of the hamstrings and the motion of the hip flexors because those muscles blend in. Right. Your right. inner leg muscles also help flex the hip. It's not just the rectus femoris and the iliopsoas that flexes the hip, it's also the adductors. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That flex the hip. Yeah. And also those muscles blend in to the hamstrings. Mm-hmm. So if the inner leg muscles are tight, not only is that muscle group going to be tight, they are going to limit uh, hip flexion and hip extension. So they're a really important key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. For someone like me who needed to work on strength for many years, and especially because I was a ballet dancer. So I had. Ba- it's called ballet. Ballet. So I had to work on getting my feet back to neutral. Yeah. Right. I was turned out. Sure. So I had to work a lot on simply focusing on midline in Tadasana Mm -hmm. and then kind of engaging midline in all my standing poses. So warrior two, warrior one, Parsvottanasana was a big one. And then standing balances. Like if my whole leg is working well and sort of engaged and turned on, my standing balances are really easy. Tita Hasta Parangustasana is really easy. Warrior three is really easy. If something's kind of out of whack, those poses, I fall apart. I'm like jelly. And that for me a lot, the first thing to go for strength for me is my inner legs. This brings up a really important point that I'm going to cover in 30 seconds or less. It's really important as yoga teachers that we're clear with what our biases are given the nature of the body that we live with, right? And it's really important as students that we see that too, that as students, we sort of pay attention to the body type that our teachers have because teachers are going to have bias about what they find is most valuable based on the body that they live in. So for me, I have to spend a lot of time opening up the inner legs. For you, if you were teaching class, you would probably have the bias that you need to spend a lot of time strengthening the inner legs. Yeah, And both are important. Right. Both are important. But, and that's why these conversations are really valuable. Yeah. We're like Donnie and Marie right here. 
(laughs) (laughs) On that note. (laughs) On that note. Thanks for listening. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening. I will put an illustration of that low lunge quad stretch, also known as twisted monkey pose, also known as, I don't know, there's probably lots of names for it. I'll put it on the show notes page, which you can find at jasonyoga.com slash episode 54. I would love to hear how your practice is going this summer. So you can feel free to leave a comment on the podcast page itself on the show notes page, or you can leave it on the iTunes review page. I love working with the hips. So I wish you a wonderful and inspired practice this week. Mm -hmm.